0: Are your school days out of sight? When you took English, art, and math, what's your favorite Fahrenheit? How sour are the grapes of wrath? Do you need a challenger for discussing Salinger? Do you love the written word? What happened to the mockingbird? Our show is just beginning, so find a place to sit. These questions will be on the test. It's time for Sophomore Lit. Welcome back
1: to Sophomore Lit, where we reread your 10th grade reading list. I'm your host John McCoy, and with me is returning co-host Zach Powers.
0: Hi, uh, glad to be back. Uh, I think co-host is a bit of a promotion. <laughs> Let's say guest. It's been a couple of years. Probably. You're all
1: co-hosts. Everyone who comes on the show is a co-host. Oh, that's very generous. Um, so, so Zach, I I, ha- I have to apologize. Um, uh, first of all, I wanted to, to address the elephant in the room. Yes. We are doing two Charles Dickens stories in a row. Uh, I had, I had really? done not you, Zach, me, me. I'm doing two Charles Dickens stories in a row. I had just done a Christmas carol with my wife Marina, uh, for the Christmas episode. And now we're doing great expectations. And, uh, listeners may be wondering why. And I will let you in on a little secret, which is I don't plan things very well. Um, I had uh, contacted Zach about this. I don't know several months ago, and we, uh, as 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 much younger younger men, we who were quite sure of ourselves, we thought we would just get this done. Uh, and then I forgot how long a book this is.
0: We, uh, I was connected for a reference for regular listeners. Shannon, uh, my my uh, girlfriend, uh, uh, was. Uh, proposition to do Macbeth at the same time that I was uh, <laughs> asked to do Great Expectations. So I don't know how long ago the Macbeth episode came out at this point, but uh, yeah, obviously that's a shorter read. Yes. Well, um, yeah,
1: when I was young, I, I I feel like I could read Dickens. You know, uh, I would I I remember one of the very first books I read by Charles Dickens was actually Nicholas Nickleby. And I think I read that over the course of about a week. I was very interested in reading it. Um, I, I've, it's not that Dickens is a bad writer. It's that I've, be, I feel like I've become a bad reader. Uh, the older I've gotten, uh, and and uh, you know, little things pull me away from this. But I'm, I am glad to have 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 made my way through this book again. Uh, it's a book that I've read, I think, three or four times now. Um, is this your?
0: This is my first time through. This is my first full-length Dickens. Uh, I did, as a very young person, early teens perhaps, read A Christmas Carol, which is really more of a novella than a a real novel. Um, But uh, this is the first full-length Dickens I've actually ever read. And and how was that process for you? Uh, You know... The interesting thing about Dickens is occasionally there are moments of like, uh, you know, any 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 author that is sufficiently far back in time, there are things where it, it doesn't quite translate just because the way we speak and the common references uh, are not uh, quite the same. And there are moments where it's like, eh, I don't fully grasp the meaning of this passage or this part just because of time differences. Um Dickens is not terrible about those. I, I find that usually it's, it's pretty, it's pretty easy. There's, you know, there were a few moments and, uh, I finished this book uh, a few weeks ago. So, you know, forgive if I have a uh, slight memory lapses on some of the details. Um, but he's, uh, you know, I, I imagine part of the reason he's considered one of the greats is because, uh, He has remained uh, influential and accessible in in a sense.
1: So this time we are doing uh, Charles Dickens' Great Expectations, which was collected as a novel and first published in 1861. It was serialized the year before, 1860 to 61. It was serialized in the periodical All the Year Round, which was a periodical that Dickens himself owned, um, Dickens, uh, sort of like his, his hero of this book came up from poor beginnings and made his fortune as, as a writer, but it wasn't, uh, a, a clear path. You know, he had many years where he was struggling, where his publishers were not happy with his sales. And when he became super famous, um, Many of his books got pirated, both in, in, in England, but especially in America. And making this uh, this uh, journal all the year round was part of Dickens trying to uh, control his own distribution, as it were.
0: It's interesting to think, I guess, pirating in that time... Uh, I mean, you think of pirating now and you, you simply think of like, <laughs> obviously, someone... Uploads a file onto the internet. It must have been a much more arduous process at the time. No,
1: definitely at the time to to actually uh, come out with a with you with your own edition of a book, you couldn't photograph it. You had to just reset it, um, and so you know, I'm not I'm not going to defend the people who uh, defrauded Dickens of his copyright back in the uh, mid 19th century, but I will say they had a lot more. Um, a lot more dedication than modern pirates.
0: They worked for it. They worked for it.
1: I mean, I think it was more of a problem, to be honest, uh, for the American market, which is understandable because there wasn't really, uh, you know, people would go over to London. They'd get his book and they'd come back and they'd publish a version in America before Dickens had a chance to come out with this. Anyway, it's all sort of beside the point. This is a, a, a late novel by Dickens. It's, I think, he had one other finished novel after this, and then one that he he didn't finish. So this is late in his career. Um, this is
0: what sixty one. I think he died in seventy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Eighteen, obviously, but yeah.
1: Yeah. So it was. Um, this is. This is Dickens, uh, in some ways, at his most mature. And and it's a book that, um, while it's enormously popular, it's also a book that a lot of critics will point to as one of his best. They will point to this and maybe Bleak House as some of his best, most mature work. Um, and I think the reason that they do that is because this book... more than most Dickens, fits into a more modern sensibility. There's still all the sentimentality, all the crazy coincidences and um, wild synchronicity that makes the plot possible, but there is... um, Dickens subverts... eh, Well, for better words, he subverts expectations. So uh, I think... If you come into this expecting one sort of thing because you know what Charles Dickens is, um, you might be surprised before you get to the end.
0: Like I said, this is my first full-length Dickens novel, and uh, obviously I'm, like, aware uh, cognitively of, like, some of his other works. I'm, like, A Tale of Two Cities and uh, Oliver Twist, and um, I have not read them uh, and I have not seen in fact direct adaptations. I've seen Oliver and Company and I've seen The Dark Knight Rises, which is basically a tale of two cities um with Batman in it. But uh uh I have not read one of his works and it, it it's interesting because surely to somebody who who uh follows his career doggedly or is a scholar like there is that sense of uh evolving and and growth and To somebody who knows Dickens as a historical figure, uh, it feels uh, fairly Dickens to me, I guess. Um, uh, You know, it's more, uh, I suppose, complex than A Christmas Carol, which is, you know, close to a fable in some ways, you know, it's much shorter and, and, uh, much more direct. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, when I think of a Charles Dickens novel, I I don't think of anything too, too far off from this. Um, and, uh, you know, this is certainly one of the ones that I think has, uh, cultural, uh, sway. Uh, there are certain Dickens characters that are fairly well-known, even among people who have never encountered his works directly. And obviously Scrooge is one, Oliver Twist. Uh, you know, I feel like Fagin has a bit of a reputation. Uh, people remember that character. And certainly Miss Havisham is in that coterie, I guess you'd say.
1: I would also add to that little Nell. Uh, whom very few people, I think, today still read the old Curiosity Shop. But I think most people have this idea of a malingering, uh, long-suffering, beautiful uh, young woman who is cheerfully going to her grave uh, with with good spirits. Great Expectations is, briefly, um, for anyone out there who doesn't know, is the story of uh, Pip, the main character, Philip Pirup, who is called Pip throughout the book is a boy, an orphan boy, being raised in Kent by his um, his sister and his sister's husband Joe, who is a blacksmith. Uh, very ear- early in the book, he has an encounter with an escaped convict, uh, and then shortly after that, he is introduced to the mysterious Miss, Miss Havisham, who uh, is this. A woman living alone in a big mansion, um, slowly uh, picking away at her sadness after having been jilted uh, at the altar.
0: Extremely reclusive. uh, Mm -hmm. Does not change her clothing. Sets all her clocks to the same time.
1: And she invites uh, Pip to her place to be a playmate for her adopted daughter, Estella, who is beautiful, but cold and aloof and unobtainable. Shortly after that, Pip is visited by an imposing lawyer from London named uh, Jaggers, who announces that a mysterious benefactor is going to provide an income for him, and he is to be a gentleman. And this is where the titular Great Expectations come from. That he has, he's supposed to have the this this life ahead of him of um, of leisure and of sophistication he goes to london to become a a gentleman and the book follows what happens afterwards i'm not going to go into the whole plot but that's sort of what is is the the basic setup is um and as a a story it's a story that follows it, it it's it's a rags to riches story in that it follows someone who comes from very poor uh circumstances and is going to become, and 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 who we believe is going to become very wealthy indeed and uh one of the reasons i i call this one of his more modern stories is this is to me the most satirical of of dickens's works it's it's when uh pip becomes a gentleman he is introduced to society by Taking classes uh, on on manners, basically, not just on his own, but with a couple of other guys, including a a member of of the gentry, who's this kind of indolent, horrible character. And by all uh, by all metrics, he becomes a worse person. He becomes a much worse person for becoming a gentleman.
0: Yeah, uh, one of the principal characters uh, and. In some ways, the moral backbone of the story is his sort of adoptive father, Joe. And he spends the majority of the novel treating Joe as an embarrassment, despite being the by far the kindest person in the story. Or, or not by far, but, but uh, one of the kindest people in the story. Definitely, it's about expectation from without and, uh, um, buying into this, uh, external validation of money and, and class and privilege, uh, it's sort of an examination of, of that aspect of, of, of life. I think a thing that rings true nowadays, I mean, obviously I think there are people who believe this sort of, uh, false ideology that, uh, Success and class and money means you are a more sophisticated, intelligent, well put together person. I mean, Exhibit A, Elon Musk, like, there are people who love, they think that guy is the greatest thing that ever happened to mankind. And um, I don't know, Great Expectations is definitely a novel that says, that is antagonistic to that idea.
1: There's there's a point early on where. Pip is talking to his close friend Herbert Pocket, uh, who he mm-hmm. met as a boy at Miss Havisham's house. He's Herbert Pocket is
0: interesting way. Yeah, yeah. He
1: he's a um he's a, a relative of of uh, Miss Havisham, and Miss Havisham has all these hangers on from her family. Who are waiting for her to die and and hoping that they will ingratiate them themselves enough to her that she will leave some of the, her vast wealth to them. Herbert comes from uh, a, a father who is does not really have a, any hopes of that because he's on the outs with Miss Havisham. So oh, he just uh, when he when he sees Pip he he. Provokes a fist fight for no reason, uh, other than I guess he he's he's bored and he wants something to do. And many years later, when Pip goes to London, he he runs into him by chance as his new roommate, which is one of those wonderful coincidences that happens all the time in in Dickens. And and Herbert is going to is trying to make a fortune for himself uh, as a businessman, and he needs a certain amount of money to sort of set himself up in in business and. While he's friends with, uh, with Pip, Pip's expectations are that he's not going to have to work. Um, in fact, there's a point where he he talks to Herbert Pocket's father, who's going to be teaching him how to be a gentleman, and he says, you know, you've been asked, we've, you've been set up to get a general education such as a gentleman might have who doesn't need to work that's what the wonderful life that pip is going to have now is a, a, a life of indolence and uh immediately he and herbert uh set about uh <laughs> putting up enormous debts um
0: yeah There's several chapters dedicated to how much money they're spending on nonsense right
1: they're they're basically uh tricking out their bachelor pad in and in London.
0: pip is the one leading the charge more so than Herberg's, uh, at least in my understanding of, of what I read.
1: The book to me is in some ways a strange inversion of, uh, of Oliver Twist because Oliver Twist is the story of a poor ragamuffin who descends into the seedy underworld of London and is eventually saved by being taken in by this well-to-do family and it turns out that uh Oliver himself comes from a well to do background you know he he didn't know his parentage now it turns out that he actually has middle class parentage and
0: uh,
1: so for victorian's that makes him good you know he's like oh oh good the the the, the one of us he's escaped you know not the like classic, those classic
0: uh last jedi to rise of skywalker twist where you think your parents are nobody but it turns out there's something and and in this book Pip
1: comes from from a, a low background he gets this um he gets this sudden windfall and all along Pip believes that it is the elderly Miss Havisham who is his benefactor and the reason he believes this is because he uh, has been invited to Miss Havisham's house to play with his with her adopted daughter who is this beautiful cold thing you know there's this this doll of a of a, of a girl but 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 icy who plays with his emotions and he thinks oh miss havisham is, is setting me up to be a a suitor for his daughter and of course you know spoiler you know turn off the podcast if you haven't read the book uh it turns out that it was instead uh Magwitch the uh, escaped convict from the beginning of the book and this horrifies Pip because he th- he feels like his um, he feels like his uh, gains are ill-gotten even though Magwitch made his fortunes after uh, being transported to Australia um, but, uh and and eventually magwitch is is arrested he's not supposed to be back in uh England and he's going to be put to death but he he dies before he ever gets there um and and Pip finds himself without any fortune again because the crown assumes magwitch's fortunes i'm sorry i've gone i've gone a, a long time talking here and I probably am not making any sense but if Oliver twist is about how this good hearted angel of a boy rises out of London's underground because he comes from good stock and he deserves to. Uh, This is a story about someone who thinks he's, you know, he's got it made. It turns out that the very fortunes that are going to make him a gentleman are coming from the lowest uh, source he can think of, from from a convict who is under... You know, threat of death if he ever comes back to, to England, who had threatened Pip as a, as, a, as a young boy. For me, what's interesting about this is how many times throughout this book Dickens posits that wealth and poverty are closely inter- interwoven, and it's all a matter of perspective, you know, whether or not you feel anyone deserves the, the good fortune they have or not. Um I am I making any sense here? I think I'm kind of
0: I believe so. Yeah, I agree. I, I I think that's um true and I I think that there's an additional element of um uh this ideation and uh uh lust for this gentlemanly indolent life and you know uh, obviously everybody can understand the reasons why you might enjoy that. But, uh, I don't know. There's very few characters in this book that, um, are truly the top, like, uh, in that, that sort of high regard or seek it genuinely who are sympathetic. I think the idea also is that, um, uh, there is, you know, there's a distance and a coldness and, uh. And so much of that life is the performative nature of living it. Um, Obviously, like, Miss Havisham is extraordinarily wealthy. Uh, She has people coming at her from all sides for her money, um, but is the most miserable novel uh, character in this novel. Um, And I, I don't know. Like, for instance... Uh, to, to, to go off uh, uh, on a sort of side character that I think exemplifies this, um, uh, there's a very minor character named Mr. Wopsle, who uh, begins as a fella who lives in the town uh, that Pip comes from, Kent, right? Uh, and uh, I don't recall what job he has in Kent, but uh, he's, you know, a uh, you know, person there. He has a, a, a job in, and he runs off to London to pursue fame and fortune as an actor, and he is a ludicrously bad actor. Um, uh, they go to some of his shows. They're absolutely horrid. He's terrible at it. He believes this is his ticket to fortune and fame. And I don't know. Mr. Wopsle, to me, is self-deluded in his uh, appraisal of his abilities and also... Uh, you know, he is, uh, parallel for Pip, who, um, like, this is not, this is not the role he, Pip, was meant to play. Uh, every attempt he makes at becoming this gentleman, um, is foolish and puts him away from people that actually care about him, like Joe and Biddy, um, and and London itself is not described particularly attractively, but, but the perception among the people around Pip among the world is that surely London must be the best place because it is where the the richest and best and most high society people are, but it's consistently not described pleasantly. (laughs) Uh, That's a bit of a tangent. I've gone from Mr. Wapsall to London, but uh, I think you... hope you take my point. No, I I do, and
1: I think that... I think it's good you bring up London. This book has been praised uh, a lot for its descriptions of of, of London, and it does really make it a a fascinating place. It doesn't necessarily make it an inviting place or a uh, a, a place that, um, you know... Again, London, like many of the characters in this book, has its good and bad sides, and this is one of the things that Pip can't accept. One of one of Pip's, um, you know, we we have we have the 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 narrative voice of Pip because this is told in first person as a much older adult looking back and describing the events that happened to him, both as a child and a young man, and then going on. And that narrative voice is quite critical, often, of the younger Pip's uh, naivete, particularly when it comes to matters of morality, that that Pip sees things in very strong black and white. And there are characters that utterly confound that. Uh, Jaggers, the uh, lawyer who uh, administers Pip's fortunes and who keeps the secret of who is the benefactor for Pitt is a criminal lawyer who consorts with criminals. You know, he's, 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 he's a, he's a respectable lawyer, you know, that he's, he's a barrister in, in a time when that makes, that's a very respectable thing to be. Um, or maybe he's not a barrister. A barrister is the one who goes to court. He's, he's more of what you call a solicitor. Um, but he, but he, uh, you know he hangs out with with criminals and he seems to be perfectly content to do that in fact he has on his wall in his uh in his office he has the death masks of a of a couple of criminals who were were, were put to to death for their crimes um he has a uh, an assistant uh, a a clerk named Wemmick, who is also uh he, he who who carries he has a, a morning rings, as in, with a m o u r ending morning rings, uh, which were Victorian rings to remember people who had died that were given to him by criminals on death row, uh, and there's this kind of a, a, a of a very uh, morose uh, aspect to to uh, to J- Jagger's.
0: Jagger's is a character that um, I've. Difficulty figuring out how I feel. Uh, what Jagger's is supposed to to, to mean, or, or what role he's supposed to play, like uh, non-plot-wise, like uh, thematically in the story. But definitely uh, the the relationship between him and Wemmick is interesting because uh, eventually Pip becomes good friends with Wemmick, and uh, he occasionally sojourns to to his home where he has an elderly. I think it's his. Father? It's it's his father. It's his his father, father, yes. Yeah, Uh, who they just call the old man. Uh, And he has an extremely, like, rosy, happy relationship with his father. He has a happy home life in this sort of fantastical little home that has kind of a a moat situation. Um, uh, And uh, um, that part of his life is completely divorced from his office life. Uh, at, at work, he is as cold and uninviting and, and um, toward about uh, money and, and financials and, and the cases as Jaggers is, who, uh, you know, is like the personification of just transactionary almost uh, for, for at least the majority of the novel um, work. And there is this whole other part of him that exists outside of that pursuit. Um, Jaggers doesn't seem to have that in any respect. And in fact, despite working with Wemmick for years and years and years, is utterly unaware of his home life. Uh, He has never heard of the old man until very late in the novel. Right. Well, it's it's, it's Pip who tells him
1: about this and... They, it's, it's partly his disclosure to that that finally leads Jagger's to disclose. <laughs> There's a very, very complicated web of of interrelationships in this book of of who it turns out that the man the who coincidences do stack right, up. Right, the, the the man who re, who jilted Miss Havisham uh, turns out to be a gentleman thief who was a partner. To Magwitch, uh, Magwitch himself turns out to be the secret father of Estella, uh, Miss Havisham's. Uh,
0: Along with the maid who now works for, I believe Wemmick,
1: uh, for Jaggers, actually, I think
0: for Jaggers. Right. Uh, and again, it's been a couple of weeks, so yeah,
1: always. yeah. No, it's fine. It's 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 very it, it's it's very complicated and ornate, and and it seems like all these threads are going through Jaggers, and that's part of what uh, makes him. Yeah. Uh, whether or not you find him a compelling character, he's a compelling plot device because
0: he carries all the
1: secrets. He's the one who knows everything. he
0: moves through the levels of society in a way that other characters don't, I feel. There is another character
1: that is a funny little character named uh, Orlik, who is... Right. He he was originally an apprentice to... uh, to Pip's brother, Joe. He was going to apprentice to be a blacksmith until he gets into a fight with Joe uh, and gets dismissed. And then he shows up again as a porter for Miss Havisham and Pip gets him fired. And then he ends up showing up at the end end of the book uh, threatening Pip. Uh, he's just like there. He just keeps showing up. Um, I find him a confusing character. I find he gets yeah. he gets removed from a lot of adaptations of this. Like if you see a movie of this, or you you know, I, I one of the things that I did in preparation to this was I looked up the um, the Rick Geary comic adaptation that was done. There was a there was a series of classics illustrated comics that were done in the early nineties. Um, that uh, was one of them was done by Rick Geary. It's one of my favorite. Of the series, but Orlick is completely out of that, you know, and you understand why. It's like if you have to cut something, he goes. But he's, but um, but some some critics consider him to be the black shadow of uh, of of Pip, in that he's there at the different parts of Pip's life, following a similar trajectory, but he is the evil Pip. But the trouble for me with Orlick is. I find nothing compelling about him. He's just sort of bad for bad's sake.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, he, uh, is revealed to be the one who attacks, uh, uh, Pip's sister. Right. Mrs. Joe is all we know her by. Um, uh, who herself is largely, uh, before her attack, a pretty, pretty horrific character. She is extremely abusive to both Pip and Joe. Um, consistently, um, and a bit of a tyrant. Um, and I, I guess in that reading, it would be that, uh, this is a sense of vengeance he has towards her. But, uh, yeah, that is an interesting, like, uh, maybe he's a failed, he's a version of, um, Pip that, it fails, because I guess he's also the apprentice, right? He works along with Pip and Joe when, in the period of Joe, uh, Pip's life where he is the appre- apprentice to Joe as the blacksmith, which is supposed to be his fortune before he gets this inheritance. He's supposed to just, he expects that he'll be the apprentice to, to Joe, his surrogate father, and become the blacksmith one day. And Orlok is hired alongside him. There is one interesting
1: thing about Orlok, which is, Late in the book, um, when uh, when Pip is about to try to get Magwitch out of the country, Pip has has kind of warmed up to Magwitch since he comes back. Sure. He realizes that Magwitch actually has turned his life around to a certain extent; that he's that he's been kind to Pip, uh, and and he just would like to get him out so he doesn't get caught and hanged. He's going back to his. To his old stomping grounds in Kent, which, which by the way is is, is a um, a county of 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 south uh southeast uh, England, that's where uh like Dover, the White Cliffs of Dover are, um, and he run. This is where he runs into Orlik at the very end, and Orlik basically lassos him. I mean, just you know, kind of funny. They call it a running noose, uh, but he he he, he ties him up. You know, in a very. Melodramatic style, and Orlick, uh, Orlick criticizes Pip for putting on airs and for um, and for forgetting where he's coming from. And Orlick is right about that. Uh, so, so at least he, he he's there in a way to, um, to 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 call Pip on
0: that. Miss Havisham, I guess, is probably the most remembered character perhaps even above Pip of this entire novel. And she's so grandiose. <laughs> uh, her and Estella, we haven't really talked about her and Estella too much. Um, uh, and I guess in some ways they're a parallel to uh, uh, Pip. And I guess Joe would almost be uh, Miss Havisham's opposite in that way, uh, though there's a bit of a failure uh, in establishing values with Pip, at least temporarily. Uh, Pip and Joe do reunite uh, late in the novel. Um, but yeah, she's, she's uh, for anyone who is not familiar with this character, a woman who is uh, older. Um, she spent, I don't know, perhaps 15, 20 years. I'm not, uh, I can't recall exactly how long Inside this house called status house, which means enough house, which is falling into decrepancy ever since she got defrauded, uh, sort of, she was intended to marry a man. He left on the day of the wedding, didn't show up. And now she's worn her wedding dress with one shoe in a room full of stopped clocks and a... Set up wedding feast where the wedding cake is covered in cobwebs. Uh, for fifteen twenty years, it's a very like melodramatic character.
1: She's quite grotesque, which was part of what makes her so memorable. Dickens is considered a, a, a realist a novelist, and that he's not a, a he's not a gothic novelist. He's not you know he's not the what came before. He's going to write about real issues, at least issues around being middle class and and. English, but Miss Havisham seems to be coming straight out of a, a, a Bronte novel. You know, she's, she's someone who has been yeah. nursing. That
0: Heathcliff vibes a little bit.
1: Yeah. She's, she's been nursing her, um, her, her wounds along, you know, and, and, and her plan is to ha- is to raise this beautiful daughter to break men's hearts and, uh, it turns out that Pip is just the uh the the guinea pig that Estella will, will experiment on to, to develop her her skills. Um and Estella is 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 something of a cipher herself. She's she's held up as this um as as that prize, you know, that the the beautiful uh elegant woman who in many ways is a living embodiment of the genteel life that Pip aspires to.
0: Like occasionally with the Pip Estella uh, being a gentleman thing, like there are like proto great Gatsby vibes there to me. Like, um, you know, obviously Estella being the Daisy character, this, this sort of object that he worships is like a, perceived she's beautiful but he doesn't really know her interior in any way uh and his desire to become a proper gentleman so he can he can do it like there's definitely like this weird gatsby-esque vibe going on there um uh for me that's a good that's a really
1: good uh parallel just as gatsby wants to become a member of society and he's never going to make it um that's kind of that's what the where pip finds himself um you know there was a there was a a nineteen ninety eight film that probably some people out there know remember it- which was a it was an attempt to take the story of great expectations and make it modern. And it had Ethan Hawke as the Pip character, and it had um... Ethan Hawke just loves making things modern, right? And it was, and it had Gwyneth Paltrow as the Estella character, and um, Robert De Niro played the Magwitch character. I'm saying the character because they gave them all different names because they they, they transplanted this all. Uh, to, I believe, like, the Louisiana Bayou was where they come from. And, like, part of it took place in New York City or wherever. I, it's been so long since I saw this film. And I remember... May, so- I,
0: may I pause for a second? Just as a side note, we'll only take 15 seconds on yeah. this. There was a movie where Ethan Hawke did the to be or not to be monologue in a blockbuster, right? I didn't <laughs> imagine that. That really happened, right? You know, I... The, the 90s are something of a blur to me right
1: now. And I was never a huge Ethan Hawke fan at the time. Uh, you know, I the, I what I remember about Great Expectations was that it came out shortly after the um, the Baz Luhrmann Romeo and Juliet, Romeo Plus mm. Juliet that came out that was an awesome attempt to modernize a, a classic bit. And, and as I said, I, I cannot for the life of me remember... Anything about this film except that it had as its theme song "Life in Mono" uh, by the trip hop band Mono, and uh, that's a great song. If if you John, you
0: you should do a theme week where you do (laughs) '90s Shakespeare modernizations. You can do that Hamlet starring Ethan Hawke. You can do uh, Romeo plus Juliet, and you can do uh, oh the oh God who was it? It was like. Kai Pfeiffer or something? It was... I don't think that one used the original text. Julius Styles plays Desdemona. I remember that. Wasn't this also the time there was that crazy um, adaptation of The
1: Tempest? It was like... Um, ooh, who did that? That was... Uh,
0: <laughs> oh... Do you remember, like, a Tempest uh, adaptation with, like, Helen Mirren that came out in, like, the mid-aughts or something?
1: Yeah, I'm thinking of, um... Oof. I'm... Oh, man, I can't remember. It was, like, um... There was the thing, uh... Prosperous Books that came out at that time that was... It was the crazy, uh, the crazy. I'm sorry we're 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 just li- we're just going down. Sorry, down, down yeah, we're down a we're down a rabbit, uh, hole, 90s but, rabbit hole. But I, I believe uh, there,
0: I'm sure there's some weird tempest uh, right. adaptation right. from that period. Anyway, uh, the, uh,
1: this is a long digression, but I bring up the the '90s uh, adaptation hmm. of uh, Brave Expectations because that movie, if I recall really really leaned hard on this romance between um the Pip character and yeah. the Estella character and i always thought that's a that's kind of a mistake because i
0: think so too
1: because this is not ultimately a film about a book about romance it's a book about uh class i think primarily and this about is... um and this is what i said at the very beginning about dickens confounding your expectations. You think, you know, you th- it, 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 he sets you up to think that Havisham is Pip's uh, benefactor. It turns out she's not. You It sets you up to think that this is going to be the story about uh, a, a, a rags-to-riches story. It turns out to be a rags-to-riches back to rags and then to sort of like, you know, somewhere between rags-riches. Okay, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's a, you know,
1: but he works with his friend in... You know, but there's a fine. double fake out here with Estella, which is Estella is set up to be the the romantic focus for Pip, but that doesn't work out. Estella ends up marrying this the the, the, the the terrible uh nobleman that I mentioned earlier and having a horrible marriage and going off and then Pip left in the lurch is like, I know who I'll marry. I'll marry this this uh kid biddy this this woman that that had uh that he knew from his his old home
0: yeah it's very interesting this this whole thing is very interesting in the modern parlance of a romantic comedy you know you would see this and read this as a modern reader i don't know if this was the case at the time it's very probable it was um but you would see this character biddy who is a young woman in pip's early childhood who uh, tutors him. She's his same age, uh, she's Estella's same age, and she's kind and endlessly compassionate, and Pip spends all his days pining over Estella. And uh, you'd say, well, clearly Pip needs to learn that Biddy is the one for him. Now, that doesn't happen (laughs) in the book. Uh, She marries Joe, his surrogate father, uh, near the end of the book.
1: I, I think it's a, a brilliant move because not only does he he keep pining about Estella and ignoring Biddy, he's actually actively dismissive of Biddy because Biddy is... Yeah. And of Joe. Yeah, right. Well, Biddy represents that whole world of Joe. And Biddy is the one who's calling his bullshit all the time, like saying, yeah. you know, you... you Thinks so lowly of Joe, but he has his pride. He's a good man. He loves you. He cares for you.
0: And and when he's talking about Estella, he's 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 like, well, isn't she just actively contemptuous and hateful of you every time you meet her? <laughs> right, which is true. She is uh, at the bidding of Miss Havisham, like she's been basically trained to do this. And there's, there's also a scene where where Pip, you know, Pip has been coming very
1: infrequently back to see. Uh, Joe, and he he comes back on the occasion of his sister's eventual death and he says to Biddy, well, I'll be sure to come out more often. And Biddy is like, yeah, right. Like, you're, you're not we're not going to see you again. And and uh pip is like oh this is a terrible how can you think so poorly of me and then when he has his moment you know the that that clueless moment where he's like i'm in love with josh where he says like i'm you know it was biddy all along he comes back he comes back on the day of of joe and biddy's marriage
0: yeah, that is yeah that is very funny yeah that he yeah um been so dis uh I, I almost didn't clock that. Yeah, that that yeah, he was so dis dis uh engaged from these people that he was fully unaware. Um uh but I I also think that the this conversation of this rom com I guess aspect uh is an interesting uh uh lead into the alternate endings of this book, right, right, yeah. Estella uh, features prominently in both, but the resolution is different. Um, again, given uh, this is a, an, a, an issue of uh, it's been you know a few weeks since I finished it. Uh, I believe the published version was the one where he and Estella actually do become an item well this is the thing
1: Uh, you're yes you you, you're hitting on there was an original originally dickens's idea was to have pip and estella meet after her the 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 close of her terrible marriage and she would be married to another guy at that point and they would part as friends but they would certainly part um and mm-hmm. instead, <laughs> she had children, I believe. Also, right, right. Yeah. And and the version that eventually got published was he he was talked into by his friend Edward what was Edward Bulwer Lytton. And Bulwer Lytton, if you if you don't know, was like a he was a famous Victorian novelist who today is is remembered as the guy who wrote the opening line. It was a dark and stormy night uh which he wrote Ooh. for one of his his novels and because of that, his name is given to an award that's given out every year for who can write the worst opening line of a of a, of a of a novel. Um, but, but at the time he was, he was a well-respected novelist and he, he said, you know, to, to Dickens, you know, you gotta have like uh, the, the meet at the end. They got, they got to get together at the end. So yeah, they do, they do meet, but it's a very strange ending in that they, they meet in the ruins of Miss Havisham's old house.
0: Sure. It's
1: about to be torn down. In one of the versions.
0: I think in the other one, they meet in London right yeah in the
1: in the in the in the one that was the his original one they meet in London my my version just to be clear had both
0: Oh, very good uh, endings. very good yes um but so he... i can't remember which because again it's been a few weeks uh, i can't remember which one was officially attached
1: if you buy a just a general edition of of it that gives you the 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 ending that most people know it has the meeting in the ruins of the the house, and Estella has had a uh, you know she's had a terrible marriage, but she's also had a change of heart. She has this wonderful line where she says, "I feel like the 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 years have bent me, but I hope they have shaped me into a better uh, better shape, you know, a better form." And I, she realizes that she was very cruel to to Pippin. She says, "I hope, you know, you said before that." You, you wish me well. If you could say that again, then I would know that we could be friends. And she seems to think that the um that the possibility of a relationship has, has sailed. But um but Pip ends the book saying, I could see no shadow of another parting from her. So Pip is leaving the the novel thinking, yeah, I got a chance.
0: Which, to be fair, is what he's thought the entire novel erroneously. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
1: So I always thought this was kind of a weird lady or the tiger ending. Estella seems to be, like, sadder but wiser, but she's not really interested. And he's, ooh, now she's available. The weird thing is you would expect that Dickens would give a more clear answer you know if if it were that yeah they're going to get together we 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 would expect this big reunion scene at the end of this happy mega happy ending where they got married or or whatever but we don't even get to see what happens in the next 5 minutes let alone the next 5 years and the, and the, the narrative mm-hmm. voice which has been talking to us from a a future time all along pre, you know presumably could tell us what happens but it yeah. doesn't. And and for me, that's, you know, I, I, I actually wish that they had, that, that Dickens had not changed ending. I, I think that the, the brilliant yeah. thing about this book is the way that, you know, it's 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 going to yeah. set you up and it's going to say, nope, that's not what you get. That's not what you get.
0: I think the original ending, uh, the ending he wrote before, he was convinced to write this alternate that was published, I mean, uh, in which they meet briefly in London and she has children, and it's uh, expressed as uh, more of a passing of the ships in the night, you know, like there is no further expectation, no no pun intended, um, between the, uh, the two of them feels correct, because if there is a symbol of like, I don't know. Estella is is more than just, as a character to me, more than just, you know, this like, the ultimate expectation for him. But that is part of her character. And uh, him giving that up, seeing it and letting it pass him by, feels like the culmination of what we should have gained from this novel and this weird, like, but maybe actually, <laughs> uh, is kind of an undercut of of the entire theme and point of the story. It it,
1: it also confounds the the, the 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 social and economic journey that Pip takes because after he loses this fortune because Magwitch. Uh, has his you know he dies and he has his fortune assumed by the crown. Uh, Pip goes off with his friend Herbert to sort of the field office for this this firm that that Herbert has put together in Cairo, Egypt. Um, so it's 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 an interesting that in the same way that Magwitch has to go into exile to a colony to make his fortune. Pip also has to spend his time in exile and it's a very uh it's it's, it's very interesting to me that that's the victorian ideal that the the colonies are where you go when you have failed at home you know and and, and it's it's a very colonialist way of looking at the world when when i was a kid you you would watch like warner brothers cartoons and there would be often a scene at the end of a cartoon where like Happy Le Pew had gone to uh, Tunisia to join the French Foreign Legion, and I had no the I had no clue what the hell that meant. You know, I was like, "What? What the hell? Why is this this in, this ending with the character pacing about uh, on, on a, in, a, in a fort in in Africa? You know, I had no idea what that that meant. But that but that is the way, I guess that. You, if you are uh, an empire that's what that's one of the things that the colonies are for you they're the place where you like you throw your castoffs
0: you you mentioned like the relationship to magwitch which uh you know magwitch is very intense in that first chapter but uh when he comes back and reveals himself to be the proprietor of his fortune um pip is initially disgusted like he is He is, like, to the core of his bones, uh, like, uh, resentful of the fact that this awful, you know, convict, uh, is the person who, um, provided for him. And, uh, when Magwitch is dying and the fortune is no longer in play, uh... It's gone. Pip knows that uh, he will receive not a penny of it. And Magwitch doesn't. Magwitch is unaware that the state will assume it. Um, I think that's the important part of his journey. Like, it's the same way he relates to Joe. And it should be the same way he relates to Estella. And uh, in many ways, the way he relates to Miss Havisham. Like, he stopped seeing this man for the only positive being the economic and social benefits he can provide and started seeing him for the human being he was after he relayed his story after he helped him to freedom and understood him as a human being uh to, to have that Estella ending where again she is the prize, like, it just undercuts this, what Pip is supposed to understand, I think, about humanity. Um, which is, and maybe, maybe this is the Jaggers thing. I, uh, this is just coming to me now, but Jaggers is somebody who sees all people as, you know, aspects of his business um and he's blind to their status but will serve all for the mercenary value that they potentially provide to him i don't know maybe he's the ultimate uh uh, uh, capitalist i don't know that's you know capitalism was not such a hot button or you know the 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 way it was perceived was different back then, I know. But um, I think Pip's journey was understanding the personal value of some of these people, knowing it at the beginning of the book, forgetting it, and then learning it again. And uh, this is a bit rambly, but I I hope you take my meaning in that, uh, um, yeah, uh, his journey with Magwitch was, he was... Enamored at the idea that Miss Havisham provided his fortune because Miss Havisham was a, a rich woman who was uh, sort of the the ideal of society, Magwitch, regardless of how he made his fortune, was not. And at the end, he saw them both as the people they actually were. And I think that clarity of perspective should apply to Estella, too.
1: Yeah, I think... the. Uh... That's a, that's a that's a really good point, and um, I don't really have anything to add to that. I I the you know we're we're we've we've gone a little long here. Uh, we should end. I think the the one thing I wanted to point out by, for myself before we end is that this book has one of the greatest openings uh, in in all of literature. Oh, the, sure. This, that first chapter is a banger. Right. The, the sequence in which young Pip uh, is is in in the graveyard looking at his mother and father's graves and he's starting to tease out the fact that there's also siblings buried there and then suddenly um the convict we don't even know his name at that point appears enormously threatening and one of the first things he does is he picks up pip and he's we're told he he turns him upside down literally turns him upside down to see if he can get things out of his pocket and that's such a great opening sequence because this is going to be a book about the inversions about about people you know you you think you know what's going on, you get the rug pulled out. you think that society is something to aspire to. It turns out to be the thing that makes Pip into an insufferable jerk and you think that magwitch is this monster because he's pretty monstrous in the beginning he turns out to be uh, a, a sort of sir soft-hearted in, in many ways that's why someone like orla kind of grates on me because he's not really he doesn't really have any r- redeeming qualities
0: and so and i think in some degree like there's also the element of change uh uh you know uh magwitch i think change i think pip changes a great deal over the course of the book and i think Magwitch, uh, like, in the beginning, when he is threatening to cut out a child's liver and eat it, uh, is <laughs> not a great guy. Um, but, uh, and even Miss Havisham does, is allowed redemption. Um, like, she changes her mind. She she gives her uh, inheritance to, um, to uh, the people that Pip suggests who are people who have been kind to him in life, and and despite her, you know, figure as this overarching, cruel, miserly character, uh, at her last moments before she's consumed by fire, uh, at least manages to, to overcome her bitterness a little bit. So I think uh, the ability to change is important,
1: Thanks again to my co-host, Zach Powers. Sophomore Lit is brought to you by The Incomparable Network. Find more funny, smart podcasts online at theincomparable.com. Write the show at Mm -hmm. sophomore.literature at gmail.com. And join in the discussion on either the Facebook page or the Incomparable Membership Slack. You know, thanks a lot. Thanks so much, Zach. This is a long, Mm -hmm. long book. Uh, And, you know... Maybe next time we'll do uh, Tom Jones.
0: Well, uh, we have a we have a history of doing. I mean, last time we did what? Crime and Punishment, I think. Yeah, was. yeah. Oh my god. So, yeah we we have a hand we have a tendency to go for the five hundred pagers. Yeah. Well, I, you know if you, if you if you have a, a haiku that you're fond <laughs> of, we'll do that next time. Absolutely.